0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. I love that song. Um, if, if you don't feel welcomed after that one, I just need to say it again, you're welcome here. Uh, that song was an invitation for you to come and to trade your sorrows for joy. Do you feel welcome to do that yet? That song was an invitation that said um, that you can come to the person of Jesus with your thirst and have it quenched by the well of the person and work of Jesus. Coming to church is so much more than just like getting inside a building. Have you you told Jesus where your heart's at yet? And that would be the goal. So let's pray. Let's bring our our worship and our affections and our sorrows and our joys and everything to Him right now. So Lord, what a Savior we have. We sing hallelujah because Jesus Christ has risen. He's, He's beaten death. He is reigning over all he's in control like we love that in principle we love that he's in charge of our lives and so once again this morning we just we bow down we lay down, we surrender all those terms that's that's where we want to be. Would your Holy Spirit help us to get us there? And so we love you and And we are looking to you through your word now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And kids, at this time, you are dismissed. Ages seven and younger can head back to the lights, ministry. Great job walking, kids. Well, good morning. Yeah, the high school and the junior high are meeting at the Allens tonight. Just a reminder: between six and six thirty, you can come, and they'll have a great time. But uh, before that, we get to hear God's word, and I'm excited to um, be sharing God's word with you. Would you please open to the Book of Mark? We'll be in Mark chapter one. Last week we started this book together. Um, If you haven't had a chance or if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to it as it uh, starts off the pace and the tone of our time together in this wonderful gospel. Let me start off this morning like this. Uh, What was something that you wished started a little different? wish that would have gone differently. I thought it was going to go this way and it didn't. Could I share a story with you just to start off? This is a story actually not of me, but it is. Can I share a story of Paul and his first day at the job being a youth pastor? This is by permission. I'm not getting quite the reaction from you. Is it okay if I share this story? Okay, okay, here we go. The Super Bowl Sunday. Here we go. Come on. Get a little lively. Okay, so Paul, first day on the job. Becca, how old was he? I don't know, twenty something, yeah. twenty something, twenty something. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked Paul this week, "Couldn't you give me an opening illustration?" Because I'm I'm hunting for something. He goes, "Oh, I got one for you." And he, so he's he's wanting to like do really well. Youth pastor. There's this school that's meeting in their in their um, church. Um, they just had this like staff meeting, and um, he's just excited to kick things off. He's got his tumbler, right? He's got his coffee ready for the day. Uh, It got a little bit cold after the staff meeting, his first staff meeting. And so he wanders on over to the kitchen and pops it in the microwave and hits go. And someone comes up to him and is, and is talking to him and just sharing like their heart with him. And hey, you're the new youth pastor, and I got these prayer rec-. And he's like, and his heart, I mean, you guys know Paul is just like so for everyone. He just loves people, right? And so he just starts billowing out of the microwave and it, it starts filling the hallway and it enters into the church and permeates itself. Into the school, the fire alarms go off, and the whole school, all the church staff, everyone vacates the building in an emergency tumbler in the microwave. His first day at the job. Not only this, but it was raining outside. (laughs) And so all the kids are, you know, even the staff, I'm sure, were crying. And our friend Paul, who's like, that's my bad. That was my coffee in the microwave. Tough first day. <laughs> Tough first day. We're going to look at Jesus' first day in His ministry. Last week, we saw how it's going to be ministry a ministry to use imperfect people. Let me draw your attention to Mark 1. Verse 14 through 20. The title of today's message is Perfect Beginnings. And this is, uh, if you're new here, we often use this term. This is the timeless truth. This would mean maybe the the argument of the text, Um, the the sent the sermon in a sentence that's supposed to draw you to understand the meaning of the passage, not only so you can get it, but also that you can own it, believe it obey it and multiply it in other people's lives okay so this is it to begin his earthly ministry jesus preached lean and he gathered a team in order to further the good news so he preached lean and he gathered a team that's going to be the division of our text today there's going to be two points and so let's go ahead and start off our time we already read the passage i'm in mark 1 And we're going to look at verse 14. Let me just read 14 and 15 for us so that we're familiar and not uh, uh, forgetful. Here we go. Here's verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. In the gospel. So let's start it off with point one, that Jesus preached lean, okay? It's kind of a funny way to say it, like he preached lean. The emphasis is not necessarily on time, although, I mean, I just read it, it took less than five seconds, and this was his, his first sermon. More so, the emphasis that I'd like to bring out this morning is that the very first thing that Jesus did to start his ministry was that he opened his mouth and preached the good news, the gospel. He, our Lord, believed that preaching was a vital part of starting His earthly ministry. Uh, Some uh, some translations uh, uh, phrase it or translate it as proclaim. That's what we're reading out of in the ESV. Proclaim. The word is keruso. It means literally to herald. Uh, if you've ever like been to a renaissance festival and you're like, oh, I want to go to the jousting event. I want to see two guys run at each other with big long sticks and knock each other off horses, right? Oftentimes in renaissance festival, there will be a her- heralder that will come out and he will announce with a loud voice to all who are there, Welcome! This is the event! And here's this guy! And here's this guy! And they're going to try to knock each other's heads off, right? He's heralding what is about to come. And the Bible uses the same word. To proclaim. To preach. To herald. That's what the angels do. Hark the herald. That's That's what they're talking about. To herald something. To preach. And this is what Jesus does. He starts His earthly ministry by proclaiming by preaching or announcing the king news important to discuss these simple truths of what it means to preach because some receive preaching as not important not strategic not the best learning method and frankly kind of boring Um, Now, us preacher dudes, we should probably work a little bit harder at being less boring, right? Um, However, I want to say two things about preaching. Uh, The first is this. um, By many, preaching has gone out of style. Um, if you're looking for, um, uh, if you're putting together a reading list for 2024, I would encourage this book by David. David Wells does a fantastic job of doing a survey of American evangelicalism through the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, on into the 2000s. And he traces especially the importance and lack of importance thereof of preaching um, uh, I love this certain part of this book that talks about uh, during the church growth movement, which is typically understood be, uh, by 1980s and 90s in America, where, um, where it became increasingly popular to um, devalue truth and to say, you know what? This idea of preaching isn't attracting the crowds. It's not growing our churches numerically. We don't think stylistically and principally it's that cool. And therefore, the church needs to figure out different ways to reach people. And so, let's let's become awesome, excellent, better than the world at, at worship. Let's do secular, let's do skits within our services to entertain. Let's do movies in our services to entertain, so that they'll keep coming back. And maybe, if they, ability of our. Wells even goes into detail about the furniture of the '80s and '90s and how it changed in the church. Um, for example, um, it was the invention of the plexiglass pulpit in the '80s and '90s. I am not like trying to like establish this like legalistic Christianity. Like any church with a plexiglass pulpit is a bad or unfaithful church. But I'm talking about the heart. So listen to the heart. The plexiglass pulp. I actually really like our pulpit. It's nice. It's wood. It's like you know. But the heart was let's get rid of those massive, clunky things in the in the center of the stage. It's too. We just want to see the band, right? And we think it's offensive. Lost people will be more likely to receive Jesus if you get rid of that massive thing. And so let's let's be slick, let's be cool, and let's have this thing called like the pulpit almost be invisible so they won't even notice that we're going to preach. Do you see the heart behind that? If a church has a plexiglass Paul, yes, it's fine. Like, don't be like all like angry or whatever. But the heart of it is that they didn't want to be offensive, and they they thought that that would grow numbers. And what we see here is that Jesus, the first thing that he does is open his mouth, and preaches. That's the most biblical thing, <laughs> that we see here and he gives them the truth. The truth that attracts and potentially the truth that might offend. One of my favorite quotes about truth is by a guy named Mark Dever, and he says, um, our job is to proclaim the truth. The truth attracts and offends all the right people. It's not our, it's not our motive to offend. Uh, it's not our job to attract. Our job is to throw the seed. Let me read to you a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones on preaching. And this, is, this is up on the screen for you. Uh, just kidding, it's not. It'll be on social media for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an uh, uh, English preacher, a um, uh, hundred years ago or so, said, the most urgent need in the Christian church today, how would you finish this quote? Is true Preaching. And it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church. It is obviously the greatest need of the world also. So again, big pulpits don't equate faithful churches. It is God's people sharing God's Word that make morning when we gather. It's our heart's desire to hear from God's Word. It's modeled, hopefully, to be brought forth to you in an expositional manner, to be exploded, brought from the page, and expanded so that you are fed God's Word and that you receive nourishment from Him Himself accurately and faithfully. And so church, Let's let's love. Let's continue to love and embrace preaching, which Joe God's people. It is a time of worship. It's not song, and then uh, worship stops, and then preach. It's all worship. Whether you're an expositional listener, receiver, or an expositional preacher, teacher, this all is worship. Here's the second thing I'd like to say, just about preaching, from this text. Many believe that preaching should avoid repentance because repentance is offensive. And yet here again, we have Jesus to start off his perfect ministry, leading off with this idea that you must repent, you must leave your sin, you must leave your old life and come to me. Now, I, I get it. There, there is a sensitivity because I would say, if we're just going to keep with that theme of surveying Christianity from the 50s to the 2000s, that there were many who stood on the street corner and offended unnecessarily so a lot of people by preaching fire and brimstone. The street preachers that were angry with no love. We don't want to be that. I don't think that was a great example while they had truth, it wasn't like wrapped in flesh and love and relationship. However, we might have swung too far the other way in saying repentance is not vital to understanding the Gospel. And so I'm going to say something strong. Um, It might come across strong if we have baggage in this area. But um, nonetheless, I'm going to say it. Jesus called people to repentance. If we don't follow in His footsteps, we're not following Jesus. And if a Gospel is presented without repentance, it is not a faithful Gospel. There must be repentance in our Gospel. Whether that's from the front, or whether that's from you personally evangelizing people, or are you personally discipling a Christian? A preacher in this church is to call you, even you believer, to repentance weekly because it's the best and most freeing thing that we can do. If you hear that you must leave your sins of Hinduism and of Muslim, let's just think Hinduism again this week. If you preach a, a message of Jesus without repentance to Hindus, they will embrace it! Of course, I will believe in Jesus. I'll add Him to my other three million gods. And will they become Christians if they add Jesus to their other three million? No! You've just deceived them. If you don't call them, they must leave their 300 million gods. And they must embrace the one true God. And the manner in which you must leave your gods is repenting, saying, this is wrong, a wrong way of believing, and now this is right. But they can't be both right. I hope I'm, I'm just trying to display a slam dunk example of where you must call people to repent. This should go on in our daily life, in our church. Where people are getting together, and with grace and with truth and with gentleness and with patience, they say, "Hey bro, I just think you need to repent, man. I just think you gotta, you got to leave that sin and you got to look to Jesus. And not so clearly, and so in, in such a lean manner, give us this model of ministry that we must embrace. So students, just students. Um, As you are looking for colleges, as you are embarking on this next chapter of life, don't forget uh, to also look for healthy churches where the colleges are located. That should be absolutely at the top of your list. Where's a healthy church and college? Because parents, kids, your kids need to be fed spiritually throughout college. And so when you visit the churches... If you're going on a college visit, stay over on a Sunday and visit churches. What are you looking for? Don't look on their website for if they have a singles ministry right away. Okay? Don't do that. It's not the most important thing. What's the most important thing? Preaching. Will your son or daughter receive solid, biblical, faithful, accurate preaching that calls him or her to repent weekly? and trust Christ for their life. If you would like some help in that area, um, I would, it would be our, my delight, our delight, to say, yeah, 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 your kid's going to University of Louisville? I know three awesome churches down there. You're going here? You're going here? Yeah, let's talk churches. I'll send you websites or whatever. That is my role in your life. Let's talk church, okay? That's the first point that Jesus preached it. And we're to do so the same. Second point is Jesus gathered a team. So he preached lean and to start off his ministry perfectly, he gathered a team. So that's the second thing that he did. How would you start a worldwide forever growing like movement? Would it be to recruit just a a couple schmucks? Or would it be like, oh, I'm going to start an Instagram account and I'm going to make a video or I'm going to do this and then I'm going to, it's going to be big. He go, Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to grab four people and I'm going to start building into them. That's what He's going to do. That's what we're going to see here. Okay, um, Look at it. I'm in verses 16-20. through 20, And we're going to just be bouncing around here a little bit, okay? Let me make a few observations first, okay? We see that these guys are, are fishermen. And right away just to step away from the text we got to make this observation isn't it amazing that jesus who could have done everything by himself because he's got the power he's got the ability chose to choose, actually likes to use people to advance his cause his kingdom that's how he rolls and he could have picked anyone but he picked some fishermen These guys were the lowest of low on the popularity totem pole. Um, He probably could have selected some guys that smelled a little bit better, right? But he chose these fishermen. Why in the world would you choose fishermen? Answer, I think it takes a special guy to be a fisherman by trade. Let's just talk about what it takes to fish, all right? You guys with me so far? Any fishermen here? Heidi Constable's a fisher, a lady, a fisherwoman. Fish, I don't know how to say it. First, first thing it takes um, an understanding that it's a difficult job to be a fisherman. Okay? Fishermen, they worked year round. They're not like not the heat of the. Did these men? He had in mind this, like, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it would, be a, it would be cool if you already understood what it took to be a fisherman by trade itself. This is a hardy group of people accustomed to difficult, long hours. So it's the job's difficult. Uh, the second thing I'm going to say is it took a lot of dedication to be a fisherman. Long hours. Carefully practiced skills. Various techniques with throwing nets and mending nets and catching specific kinds of fish. Seeking People in the same way. If I'm going to be a fisher of men, it's going to take some incredible care and dedication and skill. Here's another D word. Diverse. There's only one Hebrew word for fish, and it covered everything from minnows all the way to whales, okay? Um, There's all sorts of fish in the Sea of Galilee where they're fishing, which means... These guys had to be a master of nets, right? Remember, back then it wasn't a, a, a just a one-person game; it was a team sport, and so you got big, hardy, hefty guys throwing big, heavy nets. These nets uh, were made out of linen, uh, which was a common fabric in the ancient Near East. And they had to be carefully cleaned and these nets had to be carefully dried every day or else they would quickly rot out. These nets had weights on them uh, which were small pieces of stone drilled within the linen fibers and fabrics. And it took time. They had to be skilled and aware of the nets and the types of nets that that would be used. These guys were most likely um, the first first set, uh, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, they probably were using a 25-foot circular net, archaeologists think, which they were pitching out and catching certain kinds of fish in this particular season. Right off the shore or right from their boat. Again, these disciples were being trained to fish the, these fishermen were being trained to look for all sorts of kinds of fish and so Jesus is taking this hey I think they get this principle I'm going to teach them to fish for all kinds of men not just not just men that are like them not just fishermen, not just Galilean men um, I'm all dislikes all kinds of fish I want to teach you how to catch all of them It's going to take an incredible amount of work. It's going to take some devotion. You need to understand that my heart is for a diverse amount of fish. Jesus knew all this when He was calling these men to be fishers of men. It was going to be a whole life commitment. Not just an event. Not just, hey, would you mind texting this guy? Or, hey, call this person. Sweet. This is going to be the commitment over a long haul to be a fisher of men. I think, just to shoot straight with you, I think this is comforting some of you. I think that for some of you who have been walking with the Lord and have been a fisher of men for a long time, you have seen now, yeah, I mean, who has tried for real fishing? Have you caught a fish every time? No. Why not? Why not? Because it's difficult. You have to understand their, where they go, where they like to be, the shade, what kinds of lures to use. I remember the first time I went fishing, uh, fly fishing and I tied my own fly and I learned what a fly likes. You know what a, you know what a, a guaranteed, like almost every time fly is? The, the woolly booger. The woolly booger. That was for free right? If you learn how to tie, it's been really hard. Your mom or your dad, your brother or sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, they haven't received Christ yet and it's discouraging. And just you this morning being reminded that it's difficult work is is comforting to you. Because frankly, fishing for men can be discouraging. Well, for some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, that is comforting. For some of you, you, you might be responding like this difficult, dedication, all sorts of fish, high bar, diverse. <sighs> I'm out. That sounds like too high of a bar. That's actually, I, I'm not, I don't even, I don't know about that. Like, I, I believe in Jesus, but in terms of following him in this way, that's just maybe that's for like the varsity Christian, that's not for me. And I just want to point out something that just so ministered to me in this text this week that will, um, that you'll find just so encouraging, okay? So so far, the question would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard sermons. I think I know where this is going. You're going to call me to be like Jesus and preach, and you're going to call me to be like Jesus and build a team, like to be a fisher of men. And if that's so, then is that how you're going to leave this sermon in just a few minutes? Or are you just going to say, like, law, 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 do it, do it, do it, better, do it better, church? Is that, where we're, is that the text today? What is the good news today? What's the good news of Jesus for us? And I think it's found in verse 17. Okay, let your eyes go there. If so far you're like, oh man, Here we go. He's just going to say, there it is. There's the text. Just deal with it. I'm going to show you a beautiful truth. Look at verse 17 where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says in just a few words, I will make you become. Let me say it again. I will make you become fishers of men. Let's dwell on that. The, the, the Creator of the universe. The One who makes all things. The Great... It might not be right away, but, but I'm going to walk with you. The One who breathed His very life in us is not going to abandon us, but that is too high for us to do in our own strength and our own ability without Him helping us become fishers of men. Right here, we have the most beautiful promise. And it was this. Christ committed Himself to completing the miracle in us. Did you catch that? This is the promise. I'll make you become. It was His commitment to us. It's the beautiful part about this text about that that, that the fishermen do not have to have it all together. They don't... Have to like go, okay, Jesus is going to save me, but like then I'm on my own. Commits to, Commits to transforming us from the inside out. Again, don't, don't receive these words of, hey, you got to preach and you got to gather a team, so get to work as law. The goal would be for you to look to Jesus and say, Lord, would you help me become what I was intended for? to become a fisher of men. Friend, if you are a believer today, that, that is your mission. That is your task. To fish for souls that they would become followers of Jesus. This is scary. And frankly, oftentimes, it is forgotten. But Christ has covenanted with us to help us grow and develop to become Fishers of men. He says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. What I started in you, I will complete in you. I will grow you from one degree of glory to the next, to the next, to the next. That's a miracle. Today, my heart would be for you to see that and to rejoice in the work of Jesus in your life. Here's the next subsequent question, okay? What does the fruit look like of following Jesus like that? If you believe that He's committed to you to help you, how does that change you from within? And what does it look like on the outside? How does it manifest itself? Answer? Willingness. Watch these disciples, watch what they do. Look at verse 16 through 20. Twice we see in in this passage. Look at 18. And they what? Immediately left their nets and followed him. Both occurrences. There's two pairs of guys. He talked to the first pair and said, Hey, follow me. And they said, immediately left their nets and followed him. Next two guys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They checked with their dad. The dad's got servants. He's okay. So, if any of you are wondering, if, if, what, is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it mean for me to leave my wife and children and go totally 100% in? No, no, no. Like, Jesus loves family. Like, he wants. These guys checked with, the, with his dad and said, hey, I think, I think dad's set. We're going to follow him. God uses willing people. I remember um, 10 years ago or so when um, at our previous church, I used to live in Texas, we were looking for a sound guy. Okay, We were asking the Lord, Lord, would you help us? He was like a faithful farmer. He didn't know anything about sound, but he was willing. He was teachable he showed up on time, he was easy to work with, Um, so he just, he didn't know anything, but he wanted to learn, he was, and he was willing, and then we had this other guy, we had the farmer, and then we had this other guy who we called the astronaut, and he was brilliant, and he knew everything there was to know about everything, he was a know-it-all, he wasn't teachable, he ran sound for us one time, and we were, hey, could you turn it down a little? Maybe would. No, this is. Sound. Oh, wow. Okay, right. Astronaut. Which one do you choose, Church? Do you choose the farmer, willing, teachable, doesn't know beans, but is willing to grow, or do you choose the crazy smart, gifted astronaut who is not willing or teachable? It's it's hard. It's a difficult decision. It's, it's this heart thing where you're like, well, I want to have, have awesome sound right now, right? I don't want the <laughs> to come out, right? We went with the farmer. And after him uh, running sound for a year, two, five, ten years, it was awesome. Not just the sound, but the fellowship, the unity, the camaraderie that we shared, the growth that we shared. was awesome. What is God looking for from you, from this text? Will you leave your nets and follow Him? That is, that's the message. But, the, but that would be principally. That would say, yeah, I'm willing to follow Him in any area of life. And through this text, we're going to see all sorts of areas and so I'm going to be a little bit more particular, not just principally, are you willing to follow Him? But in this text, it specifically calls you to follow Him in two areas. And I think you can sense or anticipate their com- them coming. The first area would be, are you willing to preach? What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean like, are you willing to vocationally be the Sunday morning dude who like preaches and be like the preacher man. I'm not talking about that. Are you willing to proclaim him with your life in word and in deed but here we're seeing in word are you willing to tell that someone in your life about the good news of Jesus are you willing to be a fisher of men and it starts with proclaiming how will they hear if they don't have a preacher when we speak of unreached people groups we don't mention mainville we don't mention the mainville why. We don't why not? Because unreached people groups are people that don't have access to the to the gospel. Your neighbor is not an unreached people group. Why? Because they have access to the gospel. Why? You're there. It's your task, your mission. And that's a beautiful mission that you don't need to be afraid of intimidated by because you are going to remember from this text you know what jesus made a commitment to me he said i will make you become the first one are you willing to proclaim to herald the good news you might get rejected but also the alternative is this they might come to know the lord Isn't that a great alternative? (laughs) Isn't that awesome to think about? If I share the gospel, sure, maybe I might get made fun of, but maybe they just might come to know Jesus. And then what do you do? Well, you just got a fish. Uh, There's a man how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Um, Of Being a fisher of men, being a fisher of souls, is helping people grow to know and grow in Christ and so now you've just started to build a team and so the other willingness factor would be are you willing to be a fisher of men to grow and build a team to be willing to pour out your life for others to help them grow to teach them to disciple them to become fellow fishers of men not just, here, here's a fish. Because that's sometimes our, our mistaken, false definition of evangelism, isn't it? Oh, I'll pray for you. Or, God bless you. There, I salted my speech. I just, I just did it, right? That's not the Gospel. That's not, that's not proclaiming. It's a nice start, but that's not it. That's not it. This text um, is a fantastic text. Uh, this text is especially uh, special to Hannah and I. Um, when Hannah lost her dad uh, 15 years ago, um, I remember being in the, um, the funeral home and the, the guy in charge where we were buying the casket and where we were, where we were buying the headstone, um, after he got after he like saw the funeral and met all of John, his name was John Weber, all he met, all, after he met all of John's friends and met John's family, and we were just grieving and sad and, and we, knew, we knew we wanted his name on the gravestone. We knew we wanted the dates and he was so many things. We didn't really know what to, to say on the gravestone. And the guy who had never met John, this was his observation. Well, after Meeting all you guys, all your family, all his family, after meeting all his friends, I'd put Fisher of Men on that headstone. Seems to me he was a Fisher of Men. What a legacy. My my father-in-law was remembered even by a guy who didn't know him as a Fisher of Men. Church- One day, uh, if the Lord tarries, you'll pass away. Will you be remembered by being a fisher of men? This is the path, the way of following Jesus. Let's close our time by asking God to make us fisher of men through communion. This truth (laughs) This truth prods you. It, it leads you to delight in your salvation. To say, "Oh, man, I, I, I love 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is what Jesus does with a person. When he when he causes them to be born again, when he gives them new life, when he takes their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh that's soft to the things of God, he helps them grow to be made more like him. He was, uh, but prior to being uh, on the road to the cross, he brought his disciples in and he gave them he gave them structure to help them remember him so that they can follow him. He wanted all his followers to do this for all of time because he called them. He said, do this continually in remembrance of me. And so he brought them together and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. And you, if you follow me, your heart's going to break and your body might even break in the, in just the intensity and the high co- covenant. is you need to be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. You gotta have that, not just at salvation, like, oh, "Okay, I'm good to go," but you gotta have it continually. And so, I'm calling you, he says, to, to remember this and to celebrate your forgiveness. And so, I'll do the same. Would you come and take the bread and the cup and celebrate Jesus? And remember His great covenant with you that He will make you become fishers of men. If you've never um, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and maybe to be consistent with the sermon text, if you've never repented of your sin, meaning if you've just said, I want Jesus to make my life better, but I still want everything else in my life. Then Jesus says, you need to repent. You need, you need to say, I'm done with all of that. It's not this nitpicky thing where you have to make yourself perfect before you get in the bathtub. It's like you just picking up the whole ball of wax and dropping it and going, I don't know what to do. I just know I don't want that anymore. And I want to follow him. And then he cleans you up. Why? Because I will make you become. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that your son Jesus has promised and committed and entrusted just his very self to us and Lord I think I think your church should be comforted and encouraged and and challenged this morning Lord would you lead us and and guide us and shepherd us in the way that only you can And as we take of your bread and Take of your cup that we would remember and cherish you. Lord, for those who don't know you. And as they as they sit and, and watch this silent sermon, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to the gospel, the good news of God. And so we come to you now. You come when you're ready.